0: Okay, so Chuck, does OpenStack allow you to implement kind of like a private cloud type solution? Is it kind of like what people would call a cloud? Because cloud is such a fluffy, generic term. Did you
1: say that on purpose that cloud is a fluffy term? Yes. Because when I I think of clouds, it's fluffy. And where you live, you probably have many clouds, I'm assuming in England, way more than I do in sunny uh, California. So let me answer well, You have to the, remind me of that, don't you? I do like to remind you of that. But uh, my wife and I, Kathy, were looking at uh, this TV show and seeing all these beautiful, verdant, green, grassy areas in uh, the northern part of England. And I was thinking, you know, you pay for it with the rain, but you right. cash in when it comes to all the beautiful greenness. Where I live, it's pretty much like those old... Uh, ugly black and white (laughs) westerns where everything's tumbleweeds (laughs) and dirt and uh yeah but anyway let's talk a little bit about the cloud so the what is the cloud i actually um uh, was in some meeting where uh people were getting together folks that were doing startups uh, and giving advice to how to do startups and i described about our startup and uh we did stuff in the cloud and one of the people who was an administrator came up to me and said who wasn't a technical person then she said everybody's talking about the cloud and i just don't know what it is is it really like up there are you storing stuff (laughs) up in the sky and so i tried to explain it to her and i probably did as poor a job to her as i'll do for uh, you right now david but yeah uh, so the cloud, the general idea is when you send when stuff leaves uh, my uh, computer and connects to the Wi-Fi and then goes to the router, it is getting sent somewhere to some um, Internet destination. And we tend to draw that dis- Internet destination uh, in, in diagrams that I've used ever since I was uh, a very young person doing networking, like in the 80s. Uh, as a cloud and so uh, it has nothing to do with the physical existence of satellites, although traffic could be done on satellites, it could be entirely landline. The general idea is that things uh, that uh, we used to store on our computers are now getting stored elsewhere. So uh, I used to have all of my uh, pictures and all of my code and everything was on my computer If my computer crashed or my hard disk went out, I would have to have a backup uh, or I was pretty much dead. And now we don't do that anymore. We store it using this wonderful thing we call the Internet. Um, uh, We store it somewhere else. And that somewhere else is usually referred to uh, as the cloud. So I have uh, my own. I have uh, Google Drive for myself. I have Google Drive. For my company, Telak Networks, I have Dropbox, David, that you and I share. I have a Dropbox for this other company, SDN Essentials, that I do work for. And then Microsoft, because I have the Windows operating system, uh, they've given me a certain amount of space in their cloud as well. So it's basically places where stuff gets stored so that I don't have to store it and do backups on my computer all the time. So people are doing things and storing stuff in the cloud. The code that I write um, gets, I, I use Git. You will probably talk about that at some point, if we haven't already uh, to store stuff in a version control facility that keeps it in the cloud uh, in some type of storage, which is backed up multiple times. And I don't have to worry about it going away. And it's super protected so i don't have to worry about it being secure etc that's the general idea of what cloud in a, a general purpose sense provides for me now people talk about you know marketing people love to throw these terms terms around well there's the public cloud and there's the private cloud and of course don't forget about the hybrid cloud and so uh yada 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 basically uh if you're like me then You've been around the block a few times and engineers are guilty of this as well, but marketing people, if they throw enough uh, cool buzzwords at you, then, you know, part of what they want to do, of course, is to communicate how cool their product is. And part of it is to just smother you with technological terms, etc. The general idea of a private cloud is it is something that is there specifically for me or for my business. So. Uh, Let's say if I'm HP, I have a private cloud that has all of HP's important data in it. Now, HP could be hosting its own cloud. HP tried to get into that business for a while. I think they've abandoned it. Maybe they haven't. I probably shouldn't say that because I do have a few shares of HP stock for my retirement at some point (laughs) in the future. But, um, yeah, they would have – there's the private cloud. Now, the public cloud is for storing more – uh, public type of information, either you know, my own information. I have a Google Drive that has my own uh, information or just stuff that is stored there that is publicly available to everybody. And then the idea of a hybrid cloud is, well, you know, at some place, there is a data center, a physical data center in a physical location, probably a multiple physical location that actually has bank after bank after bank of disk arrays that's storing all of this information. If you are in charge of doing that for somebody and you're doing both private information for Coke versus Pepsi versus Mountain Dew or whoever, probably Mountain Dew's owned by one of those two, um, or you want to store stuff for the public domain as well, then that would be like a hybrid cloud idea. That's the general idea of what we're talking about when we talk about uh, stuff being, you know, how the cloud plays a part in what we do today. And that's why things like OpenStack uh, and these other SDN in the data center technologies are so important. It's because, you know, there's uh, so much of that cloud type stuff going on and data centers are storing so much more information than they were before. Um, then we need to have a place to keep it and manage it and protect it, et cetera, and deliver it when it's asked for, like
0: streaming video. That's great. So, Chuck, I want to I want to talk about Git in a second, but before we do that, can we can you tell me what OVS is? Because that was also mentioned.
1: So, uh, OVS stands for Open Virtual Switch. It was originally created by the uh, initial uh, guys who are responsible for giving us what we call SDN today. In other words, out of that clean slate program at Stanford, uh, some of the professors there and at uh, UC Berkeley created a company called Nasira. And for their purposes, they needed to create uh, a virtual switch, which is the thing running inside a hypervisor. In VMware or Hyper-V or whatever it might be, doing the networking component for a virtualization system. So, of course, VMware has their own virtual switch, Microsoft has their own in Hyper-V, but the idea was they wanted to replace it with something better that would implement both OpenFlow and would implement um, this tunneling SDN solution, so overlay-based. SDN and they were kind of the inventors of that technology for solving problems in the data center and open virtual switch or OVS was the original piece of software that allowed them to do that so they could write their controller and their management to talk to this OVS these OVS devices spread throughout the network and they could achieve software defined networking and get rid of a lot of the problems with networking in the data center um, in that manner, in that manner, uh, OVS was originally um, backed by an engineer or more from Nasira. Once it became open sourced, uh, when VMware bought Nasira, there were some concerns, you know, like there always are some thing that's open source gets bought by a particular vendor. There's a concern that at some point in time they will cease to invest in it. Or worse, they will just close it and not allow people to use it anymore if they can do that in whatever manner that's possible. And so eventually uh, the Linux Foundation took control of OVS. So there are a number of OpenFlow based virtual switch implementations uh, that are out there today. But by far OVS is the largest uh, deployment. Now it's been deployed in multiple Scenarios, for example, at Telak Networks, we built an OpenFlow-based SDN solution that ran its controller in the cloud, and the devices, of course, running on premise, and the devices were wireless um, access points that were running, you know, in hospitality, uh, needy areas like hotels, or banks, or schools, or whatever and um, we would need to do OpenFlow to those devices. So what we did, since most wireless devices today run on a Linux platform of some sort, we just uh, implemented OVS uh, on top of the software, the Linux-based software running in that access point. And then we were able to control the behavior that is the forwarding behavior
0: of that device using OpenFlow. So you're basically downloading policies and rules to the access point uh, using, and then we're using OpenFlow running on OVS and your controller running in the cloud, is that right?
1: That's correct, yeah. So um, uh, really what I would say is what we're doing is we have taken uh, the policies and the access controls and things of that nature in the controller, figured out what OpenFlow flows need to be loaded on every single device at any point in time, and then we download the flows onto the device using OpenFlow.
0: So Chuck, you mentioned Git and I'll, I'll love this in the same question. So what is Git, what is GitHub? I see Microsoft have bought GitHub, I think. Um, can you give us an idea what that is? What's the advantage of it? How does it relate to anything that we might understand? Yeah, so this
1: is a software development question. So uh, if you're a software developer uh, then from the old, old days, you developed your software on your uh, PC or on a mini computer on a mainframe or whatever, and it just sat there. And, uh, you know, you did your own manual backups, or you had scheduled backups or something for your whole system. And that's how your software got uh, backed up. And you had, uh, <laughs> you didn't end up in the situation I ended up in once, where I lost a week's worth of work by inadvertently deleting um, my uh, code branch and ending up with uh, all the work that I had done that week having to recreate that. So that was a bad situation to be in. And so somebody said, you know, what we need is some type of uh, source code control system. And furthermore, there's multiple advantages Uh, They probably said to themselves, the advantages are not just to prohibit complete idiots and morons like Chuck from deleting a week's worth of work, but also it would be good. You know, we've got a lot of versions of our product out there running. We need to be able to recreate uh, a version on the fly, punch a button and say, give me version 2.6.4 of my thingamabobber and it creates it and then I can begin to diagnose the problem that a customer is seeing because frankly for us developers uh, once we're done and we've released a product we move on to the next thing and we don't like to think about the things that were there before and so uh, and so uh, that was another reason for us to do uh, this thing to have some type of source control functionality and then another thing came along Uh, This whole idea that went by a number of names today, we call it agile development, other things along the evolutionary path of agile um, were pair programming, um, scrum, which is still used today, extreme programming, all of these things have people not being just in charge of one module that they own and they completely are responsible for and nobody else touches. But rather, you have multiple people touching the same module potentially at the same time. So all of these things came together and the idea of, you know, how do you prohibit uh, concurrent changes from hammering each other's uh, changes in the code? How do you keep the code safe? How do you recreate versions? Etc. Etc. So companies like um, uh, Perforce, Subversion, ClearCase, and others created products that you could buy, uh, which would manage all of your software for you. So it provided a repository for storing your software. It provided a means of checking out your software so that nobody else would check it out when you had it checked out. It provided a means of recreating versions. And it also provided a means in the later versions of these things of merging together. Like if you have a module that you need to have two people working on at the same time, obviously they're not doing the same thing. They're doing something different, but they might hit the same module. And so you don't want to prohibit them from working, you know, doing things in serial. You want to be able to have them do stuff in parallel and then you merge that back together. So doing things like merging is another um, capability of these source control facilities capabilities um, and and, uh, products that you buy. So uh, the guy that gave us Linux, uh, Linus Torvalds, um, decided that, you know, uh, he wasn't really satisfied with the existing source control um, products that you could get your hands on whether they were open source or whether they were for purchase products and he decided you know let's let's build another one and of course uh, so when he did this because people know of his notoriety etc, it became very popular um, it was called and he called it git Now why did he call it git I don't know the answer to that. I can tell you that the Python programming language was named after Money Python, the comedian from the UK. I can't tell you about Git. Um, I'll have to look that up, and I'll come back at one of our future discussions and give that to you, or people can probably look it up online. Git is the tool that has been defined to, and and the Git all the Git uh, commands that you provide have been defined. Um, Uh, as a means of doing source control now there are different implementations of git that are available to you out there two of the more popular ones would be github so you could store your stuff in github's repositories uh, storing stuff for uh, that everybody can look at in other words that's public is free if you want to store it you know like for your company and you don't want other people to see your code then that costs money. Um, You use the same git primitives on your Linux command line or I guess you can probably do it in Windows or on Mac OS as well. So uh, GitHub is one means of doing this Another means or another um, solution that's been created is called Bitbucket. Uh, Bitbucket is created by Atlassian. The same people who do a lot of collaboration software, uh, such as Jira, things of that nature. And so Bitbucket is another one of those. So Git is the underlying technology for doing source control to manage all your different versions of your software, uh, to allow people to do things at the same time and to merge them and to go back. Like if you make a mistake and you say, I need to go back to the previous week you can do that or I need to go back to a previous version. uh, You can do that. One last thing I'll mention that it does that if you get involved in software to any degree is it typically provides a means of reviewing changes that you've made. So you know, we want there to be code reviews to every piece of code that gets put in there because um, you know, many eyes help to make uh, the code better, I guess. And so in the old days we would just uh, write our code nobody else would see it and it would either work or not Uh, these days when you write code in a in a project what you're typically doing is you will uh, create things on a feature branch from the mainline branch of the code and then when you check it back in other people are named as reviewers and they look at what you've done and uh, give you comments, hopefully constructive. If there's a problem, they will um, recognize that and let you know, and then you fix it. So that's another thing that's come uh, along with this whole idea of Git and source control.
0: So Git is like this technology that Linus uh, developed, and then GitHub is, is a cloud-based solution of that. Is, is that right? That is
1: correct, as is Bitbucket,
0: yep. Okay. Yeah, so GitHub is, is seems to be really popular, and if, just to sum it up, Chuck, you've got the open source mm-hmm. version, so anyone can load code to GitHub, but then it has to be open source. But cool. if you pay for GitHub, then you get the private stuff. Is did I understand that, that right? That is correct. Yep,
1: that is correct.
0: So, how does how is that different to Jira? Is Jira just a like like Slack or how, what? What is that? Yeah, so
1: Jira has a lot of capabilities. Uh, The thing that I've seen Jira used most for is for project management and that will be for uh, projects that are getting created as well as for um, uh, ongoing projects and keeping track of bugs and things of that nature. So in general what will tend to happen and I'm going to go at a fairly high level here Um, In previous years, we've used uh, either a blackboard or a whiteboard or tools like Microsoft Project or Gantt charts or whatever to schedule uh, creation of software in a project. And so uh, everybody had their tasks that they were supposed to do and you tried to do them. You know, you got together in a big meeting and scheduled the whole thing out. and hopefully you met your milestones and you ended up delivering the product at the end of the day on time. With the advent of more agile technologies, into the picture have come uh, other, you know, associated or adjacent technologies to help manage your agile uh, projects. And so uh, one of the the things that JIRA does, and I'm gonna walk you through this in general, You determine what all of your tasks are and those tasks can be in the form of just uh, a description of something that you have to do or they can be in the form of a user story, which is usually um, written from the perspective of an actor such as the user where it says as an administrator of my network, I would like to be able to check the uptime for the past month or something like that maybe not that precise and so that would end up uh, probably creating a number of tasks in your project that you would then have to do so user stories tasks etc these are all managed in software that a company like jira uh, will um, give you access to and so um, just to at a high level again let me give you throw some words out That people may use in the software development world your backlog is the tasks and stories that need to be done but have not been scheduled yet a sprint is the usually two-week duration time frame in which you are hopefully um, completing those tasks or the user stories and those tasks or user stories uh, get uh, moved from the backlog uh, to the, you know, not scheduled yet, to in progress, to done. Or sometimes you have another uh, category, which would be it's been moved into test and then it's done. So uh, JIRA is the software that helps you to manage that. Now, can you use JIRA for other things? Absolutely. You could use it for, uh, you know, if you are doing a migration from a non-SDN environment, to an SDN environment. Maybe you use Jira to define all the tasks of all the things that you have to do, especially if you're doing migration steps, especially um, if you're gonna have downtime in any particular area or creating redundancy or things of that nature. You could put all those things into um, a Jira and you could track your, your uh, stuff that way. We also use um, Jira capabilities to have a calendar so that I can log uh, the amount of time that I'm spending on every one of my tasks. So tied to the actual task that I've defined in JIRA, I specify, hey, I've been working from 9.30 uh, till 12.30 on this particular task. And if if we're ending up charging somebody for that or if my boss just uh, (laughs) likes to make sure that I'm not screwing around, Uh, then that would be something that would be worthwhile in that regard. Jira can provide that.
0: So Chuck, I mean, I don't know if we have more time, but here's one more question. What is Jenkins then?
1: Yeah, you'll probably, uh, you guys will probably hear the terms Jenkins or Hudson, uh, others bantied about, you know, the nice thing about these open source projects is that there's so many to choose from. And unfortunately, the, Guys who do open source on one project uh, sometimes get bored of it and move on to the next one. So you kind of have to keep uh, moving from whatever uh, tool it might be from one to the other that's open source. But the general idea of these is this. Uh, again, I'm going to go back to the way that things used to be with the waterfall method of you know development. Uh, you weren't really done until you were done. Uh, with the whole project and that's when everything came together in this day and age with agile uh, development methodologies what we tend to do is at the end of every uh, sprint or even at the end of every build cycle which may happen every day or multiple times a day we end up with a usable product so we don't have the product in a state where it is um, unusable it's always in some version of it, uh, you know, is going to be a usable product that you've built. So uh, in order to achieve those builds, you need to not have somebody who you're paying a large amount of money to sit there and push the big build button, you know, every, uh, every four hours or something in order to run it and look at the output. Instead, what you want to do is you want to create a build environment that can be number one automated and number two that will run all of your uh, regression and automated tests to make sure that things didn't get broken with this new change since you're doing builds every day or something like that Uh, Jenkins is a tool that allows you uh, to do that and so um, you know it really is uh, a schedule or an orchestrator just another tool that goes into the tool belt of the software development people. If you're in a big project, then there's probably a Jenkins expert. There's probably a Git expert. There's people who are experts in all these tools that you use. And you can primarily use the small amount uh, that you need to know in order to to do your job. And then you'll spend most of your time uh, writing code. So there are people who love Uh, all of the tools and the utilities and, you know, more power to them, uh, creating all the capabilities to make sure that Jenkins is up and running and building your Docker images. And, you know, uh, you'll usually have um, a development build and a staging build and a production build so that you kind of have a pipeline and so that when you do new development stuff, you're building it but that's not going into production immediately. It has to go through uh, you know, some amount of tests which can be done on development or staging before it gets into production. So Jenkins helps you to orchestrate all of that stuff.
0: Well, Chuck, I mean, it's a whole new world. I think for a lot of us network guys, we've got a lot to learn about the development side of things. Yeah, I would
1: say um, uh, having knowledge of these things is useful. You don't have to be an expert in them especially if you're coming in from the outside, these are not table stakes. You do not have to know everything about them. As I say, there will be people who know the technologies. I would say, and just getting back to uh, our class, David, uh, the thing that you do need to know is how to become a proficient uh, Python developer. If you understand that, all the other stuff we're talking about, that's Uh, can be taken on an as-needed basis or there will be other people who know how to manage them. You do need to know about them. And so understanding that, you'll work in an environment where there's JIRA, where there's Jenkins, uh, where there's automated regression tests, etc. But the important crux of what you need to learn and the first steps are how to develop software. And that's hopefully what uh, these you know, intro- any introductory Python class can probably give you.
0: Yeah, so you would recommend, again, that if it's a network guy or someone who's just starting in development, they could take your course or another introductory course to learn how to develop and get into development, and then these things will come later.
1: Yeah, I'm usually not much in uh, marketing or sales pitch type mode, <laughs> um, but I would say, I, and this is unique to me, I hugely, strongly recommend... Uh, understanding, especially, let me, let me uh, just give a shameless plug for the class. I do think the yeah. class gives you the fundamentals that you need to know to become a proficient developer. And all the other stuff that we're talking about, you know, you take that on as you, um, as you encounter them. And uh, you don't have to be an expert in them, but you do have to become uh, proficient in the things that uh, we're talking about in that class. So, yeah, I think that class is really helpful.
0: That's great. No, I agree. I went through it during the review, and it's excellent. So fine to shamelessly plug it, Chuck. That's fine.